When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 151. On this opinion, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today we're doing a special edition of La Ronda. It's a special edition because Frances and I could not find time to get together on a Skype call this week. So we are going to be answering La Ronda questions from the closed Facebook group in different locations at different times. And those answers... They might have a little bit of overlap because we're going to be recording independently. And obviously, now that you're hearing it, I, Dan, have edited it later. So hopefully things work out. But at the start, let's see what happens. We are answering different questions. And those are your listener questions from the closed Facebook group. I'm going to start here before I hand it off to the Frances with a question from James Lee. And James, you asked two questions. And I promise your second one is with Frances later. So for now, I'm going to tackle question number two that you asked. He talks about Antoine Griezmann. That's where this question lies. Griezmann has looked switched on in his linking play, his movement, and his pressing. How many goals and assists do you see him getting this year? Well, James, I looked back at the previous four seasons. In these previous four seasons, a high of 32 goals coming in the 2015-16 season with seven assists that year, his lowest in the last four seasons. 2016-17, it's 26 goals, 12 assists. 2017-18, 29, and 15. And then last season was 21 and 10. So my thinking is, James, with that strike force that we're expecting, we don't know the future of Coutinho. And again, I'm going to dig my heels in like a toddler and pretend that Neymar is probably not coming to the club until he shows up at the camp. No. So the strike force that I'm anticipating, again, not that I say that I'm preparing for Coutinho to be leaving, but I see Messi, Suarez, Dembele, and Griezmann. That front four in certain combinations, uh, we have seen that Griezmann will play the number nine when Suarez is not playing. That will probably mean that Dembele gets his starts there with Messi on the right side and Dembele most likely shifting back to the left wing, even though you arguably can say that he's best on the right wing. And I've also, again, on the Patreon advocated for the fact that Dembele and Semedo look like they're really jiving and working things out here in the preseason. They're really working well together in the preseason. Dembele and Semedo, I really like what's happening on that right wing. Nevertheless, I digress to the fact that Griezmann will be playing most likely in his starts on the left wing with Suarez up top as the number nine and Messi as the right wing. Let's see what Valverde has off his sleeve. Maybe I'm completely wrong, but again, that's what we're preparing for, and that's what I'm trying to uh, take the assumptions in. He knows know how to play on the wing, as he did when he was a little quicker in his youth playing for Real Sociedad, but 
at this point playing off a number nine and we don't know what it looks like playing off a of Messi who as I have said many times you put him in on the right wing but we know that's not really where he operates he operates anywhere he wants to offensively so I expect that the assist number will be greater than it has been in the last four seasons I gave him 16 so that being one more than 15 that he had back in the 2017-18 season and then for goals James I went with 25 goals would be the second lowest of the previous four seasons he again he had 32 29 and 26 and 21 was last season so i guess 25 better than last season because he's not just working with Diego costa uh, or alvaro morada he's working with lino messi and he, messi for all it is it is also different than atletico madrid in the way that they play for all those grouches who get on an of Verde and say that oh he only plays defensively well barcelona score a whole heck of a lot of goals regardless of however Valverde wants to play. So I, I'm, I'm not talking about Valverde here. That's not what that's about. It's the fact that even if his game plan is defensive, Barcelona still is not Atletico Madrid and is a much higher goal output. And so I think his assists are going to be up. I think his goals are going to be just about what he has had over the previous few seasons, maybe a little bit less because, again, he's going to be sharing the wealth with Suarez and Messi. But Again, he could also have 34 and surprise us all uh, by being on the end of a lot of Messi's ideas and Suarez's ideas. Because again, as Messi ages, we also assume that he's going to become less of a goal scorer uh, and do basically doing the reverse Cristiano Ronaldo. Instead of now, the older he gets, being directly in the box, he's going to become a little bit more of a creator uh, and not be so rumbling, tumbling and uh, get his hands dirty so much anymore. But it's also Lino Messi, so we look at what he did last year. We expect he's going to do a similar thing this year as well, which is always astronomical. doesn't make any numeric sense. So I think Griezmann is going to play a hand in now this uh, th this terrific strike force that they have. And the final point I want to add on Griezmann is, uh, as I've talked about on the Patreon as well, you don't play under Diego Simeone at Atletico Madrid without a extreme work rate. So I think people really are seemingly confused and confusing Griezmann's antics, we'll say, off the field and some of his histrionics in his goal scoring. Uh, that's something that Diego Simeone has allowed. But as far as being on the field, you would almost say that he's a very serious-looking player because of how hard he works uh, and how dedicated he is. He's not somebody who is wasting time on dribbles. He's not somebody who's wasting time. He's very direct, um, and I think he's really going to fit in well at Barcelona, and I think people need to, again, recognize what he's doing on the field and not just the simple idea of what we know that Antoine Griezmann is as this perceived character, and it's that perceived character that is so funny to me that allowed the media to say all these things about how him and Suarez aren't friends and him and Messi are, are don't have an understanding, and that's, again, just a bunch of drama. Let's not retweet it. Let's not like it. It's like anything on the internet. The bad stuff gets to the top and the bad stuff gets attention which is so silly but again Griezmann's work rate and the effort that he puts in and the fact that he and Frankie de Jong are going to help so much getting Barcelona back to some of their uh, roots from the 21st century here in getting into that press uh, which we've seen that it's a new press it's not the Barcelona Guardiola press it's more of the uh, Jurgen Klopp Liverpool type press that it's just different. The world of football is different than it was 10 years ago, and Barcelona adapting is going to result in more La Ligas and hopefully the Champions League as well. Long question, a long answer rather, for that question for you, James. But next up, we have one from Tintin. Pooj, what's the plan, Tintin asks. And Tintin, you are the lucky one today because Frances has plans to answer this question later, and I'm going to take my hand out of here. I'm going to give you the more pragmatic approach. I'm wondering what Frances will say. Hopefully he repeats me later on the show. But my thinking for Puj, it's going to be a very similar path to the Carlos Alenia story from last season, where what's different is that not only was Alenia a year older and sh probably should have been a permanent member of the squad from the start of the season, if not for being injured, but he did work things through with Barcelona B, and then he got the promotion in January. The big difference there is that Carlos Alenia, because he really was already destined to be a permanent fixture uh, and basically just had to rehab his way uh, to being to earning that permanent spot, uh, which he got in January. Puj's minutes are not already set aside for him in a way that I guess you could say Elena's war. Elena's spot in the squad was his. But Puj is not going to have any guaranteed minutes. I don't know where they come from. So my thinking is that I think the club knows something that we don't know, and I don't want to be all conspiracy, Dan, on you. But I think when it comes to the playing uh, time of Arturo Vidal, uh, most most importantly, I think even more so than Rakitic. Rakitic is still so vital to Valverde's system. Uh, not that Arturo Vidal wasn't a good servant last year, but now with Frankie de Jong, 
uh, Artur Vidal seems a tad redundant. I know he adds that bite and all that in the midfield, and he is a different profile than everybody else, and uh, I have advocated for having that kind of character in the midfield, but I don't know where those Artur Vidal minutes come from, and again, because of what Frankie de Young does in his pressing ability, and we're hoping that Artur improves uh, for another season in Barcelona. He had a little bit of rest over the summertime when he uh, right after the Copa America, so we're hoping that Artur takes another step forward. Carlos Alenia, I at least for me in preseason, looks like he's taking another step forward. So I think, again, that makes Artur Vidal a little bit redundant. So maybe Puj is able to carve out some of those minutes in the latter half of the, of the season. So my thinking is that they're already prepared with this. They're aware of this. And maybe Arturo Vidal uh, might be the odd man out to uh, head to greener pastures in January. And Puj then steps into that place in the first team. So that is my guess here. Uh, again, a lot of I, I usually don't try to forecast that much Tintin. But there's my answer there on what I think is going to happen with Ricky Puj this season. Eric asks, will Messi missing the preseason help both him with being rested and the team by learning to play without him? Or is it more damaging by him not getting to play before meaningful games begin? Let me start by saying I'm not worried about a slow start from Messi. And that is not just uh, being a a psychophant of Messi. That's me saying that uh, over the last well, his whole career, Messi is not really a slow starter. There are occasional seasons when he he kind of has to get going, and then all of a sudden at one point, uh, and, you know, bless Osasuna's, uh, how do I say, bless Osasuna's heart for returning to La Liga, because if you look up some of the uh, most deranged score lines that Messi has had in his career, Osasuna just keeps popping up as, as that poor team on the receiving end. Uh, so I would circle those on the calendar because if he does start slow, uh, I, I, poor Osasuna might be the receivers of uh, maybe four goals by Messi. We don't know. Uh, again, it, it's been a while since he had a Bayer Leverkusen-type output, which also came on the back a few penalties. But nevertheless, uh, I think Messi, even if he starts slow, there's a hat trick in there somewhere that's bound to, uh, to come out in La Liga in particular. And so I'm never worried about that slow start to a season for Messi. So I think even with without preseason and even without you know getting accustomed to playing with Griezmann these things do take time but as we've seen throughout his career other than and people can debate me on this one even that other than Zlatan Ibrahimovic name me another player that Messi did not almost click with immediately now if a player doesn't click like say Coutinho last season didn't really click but that's not to say that Coutinho and Messi and that's a partnership that didn't work out it's just Coutinho wasn't clicking um and they also play obviously realistically on different sides of the field uh but nevertheless i i think that messi generally clicks with any world-class talent uh and, and griezmann is just like that and i can't imagine messi and frankie de young not working out together so i'm not too worried about messi because for as good as the transfer window was unlike real madrid who added how many new pieces barcelona really only added those four pieces and obviously it doesn't matter how Neto and Messi work together so when it comes to Junior Firpo and De Jong and Griezmann they're the ones that we have to key in on working with Messi and again I'm not too worried about that and as far as him getting healthy I think if Barcelona is patient which they can be because they have Dembele to start the season on the right wing and they have Griezmann on the left wing and they have Suarez up top I know Messi is why Barcelona win La Liga still and I know he's why Barcelona do most of the winning they've done over the last decade but you give me a front three of Griezmann Dembele and Suarez you can win every match and and until Messi comes back until he's fully fit the only worry I have about Messi in that case is that when this has happened in his career as well this is when the hamstring injuries pop up and things like that but you look over the course of his career and as much as people talk about needing the medication he did as as a young man other than that cursed Tata Martino season Messi really has not been struck with a long-term injury bug. So I'm not too worried about this. It seems just like a simple knock. He might miss the first week or two of the season, uh, maybe the first match or two. So again, not too worried about Messi, Eric. Uh, Again, and if there's one guy in world football you put your faith in, it's the guy that spoke at the Gamera Trophy again for the second straight year. You put your faith in that guy. Enrique asks, Do we think it's a good idea to focus on the Liga and Champions League? Let our Barca B players and players returning from injury play the Copa del Rey. Enrique, to this answer... I would say that there might be focus on the league and Champions League in the same way there was last season. But as I've said before, I really like the way that this transfer window has turned out. And again, you can ask me uh, 
in two weeks time if Neymar shows up at the camp no and I've locked myself in the closet forever I don't know how we're going to do the podcast the only benefit of me locking myself in the closet is that the audio for the podcast is going to get even better because I'm not just uh, in my living room so the podcast audio will get better but it's going to get a lot more morbid and a lot sadder for a few more weeks until Frances can cheer me back up because I think the depth of the squad at the moment and the way that this squad is built maybe there is a few extra midfielders in there as I just mentioned uh, two questions ago but I'm really happy with every position there this I think for the first time in a very long time because we even go back to talking about Puyol we can go back to even when no offense to him but when Pinto was the backup goalkeeper I don't see between choice A and choice B that much of a drop-off in a way that I don't know if we've ever seen with Barcelona that's just how this may not be the best squad we've ever had in terms even of talent but I think it might be the deepest squad uh, that not only has Valverde had to, to work with but I think that any Barcelona coach has had to work with in quite some time. Uh, and, and with that depth of squad, I also add the caveat that last season we were thinking, oh, okay, Alvaro Ruiz and Carlos Perez, and which we'll talk about in a, in a few questions, but those guys can take the step up. We'll get them some Copa del Rey minutes. Ricky Puz deserves some Copa del Rey minutes. Now you can argue that Carlos Perez might get the same kind of uh, it might have the same impact in the squad this season. Maybe he'll get a few more appearances for the first team and break in there, but as far as the Copa del Rey goes, you now have a whole generation of players, Alvaro Ruiz, Callado, Perez, who played in the Copa del Rey, maybe a little bit too green last year, maybe they weren't ready, and now they're a year older, and they're still going to be playing the same role. So I completely agree that they can play in the Copa del Rey, and those guys are pushing for minutes into regular first-team action. To your to your end, I don't think we're just focused on, on the Liga and Champions League. I think we're going to do the exact same thing in terms of the roster that, that Valverde trotted out last year and trust me on this podcast we'll get on him if he continues to not rotate the way he did two seasons ago but last season it looks like he was trying to rotate a little bit more and that's what makes the end of last season so much more depressing because it seemed like Valverde's rotations uh, were a little bit better you can say Malcolm needed a, a few more minutes here and there but that seems to be almost the only gripe and then those who were arguing about Roberto and Semedo well that's been decided as well Roberto's back in the midfield Semedo's playing right back with with Wage to back him up so uh, the squad is, again, uh, has a better foundation than we've seen in recent seasons. And uh, if if Wage is having a hard time getting minutes behind Semedo because Semedo's starting every match, well, Wage can start in Copa del Rey matches, but he's also in the squad to start in the Liga. So I think those Copa del Rey squads are going to be stronger than they've been in years past, if that, if that makes any sense. Because, again, the guys who play in Copa del Rey are just a year older and probably deserve to be first-team players. Uh, so I don't think that we're necessarily just focusing on the Liga and Champions League. Maybe Messi is, uh, and that's totally fair because he's the guy who's going to bring home a Champions League uh, trophy. Carlos Perez isn't, but Messi is. Uh, but Carlos Perez can certainly uh, help in an effort, especially the way that the Copa del Rey is now knockouts up until the semis, that those are the guys that can deliver a Copa del Rey trophy. But before we even talk about treble, let's talk about Champions League. Let's talk about repeating with the Liga. Rick, as always, you asked one of the hardest questions of the day. After the incident of racism against Malcolm after his move to Zenit, does it go against Meske Un Club? The club sold him to a Russian club with rampant racism and homophobia, maybe not the best destination for Malcolm. Will the club ever prioritize the leaving player's future as appreciation for his services, or will they just think about gaining a profit? Now, Rick, to this, to this question, I think about the exodus of David Villa from Barcelona. Uh, he went, if we remember, for cheap on Atletico Madrid. There were rumors that that was going to give Barcelona the the rights to sign some of Atletico Madrid's younger, youngsters, which, uh, unless we don't know it any better, maybe uh, Antoine Griezmann certainly wasn't that youngster, and he certainly didn't come cheap. They didn't have any, uh, any, any uh, carryover from that deal. And so they let David Villa go for such a small amount, basically uh, as a gift to the player uh, at the time. And Barcelona have done this for certain players, and they have taken care of certain players. You even look again at the Cesc Fabregas, the Chelsea move. Cesc wasn't working out, and so Barcelona worked to get him, uh, uh, find him a way out when, in, in truth, you know, if he, if he was more well-liked by the Barcelona supporters, then his time at the club would have lasted a little longer. Uh, but it didn't in the same way that for Coutinho, it looks like the board is trying to do what's best for Coutinho as well as it is trying to make as much money uh, off the sale of Coutinho. But if they loan him out, is that truly beneficial to Barcelona? And this doesn't answer the Malcolm question uh, because I think with the Malcolm question, uh, as people have heard, uh, again, I, I don't speak about politics on this show, but to me, uh, racism and homophobia in, in the way that that Zenit crowd uh, reacted uh, 
I mean, obviously, this is just a racist incident towards Malcolm uh, that I think not only is there no place in football for this, I, I have said for a long time what's happening in Syria ah, and what has happened in the Liga in the past, what happened in the Bundesliga. I think there should be zero tolerance on things like this. Uh, but we obviously know that, um, unfortunately, not much, not much is going to come out of this from the Russian Federation. Uh, most likely nothing is going to come out. It's going to be the Russian Federation probably saying, if they haven't already, that, you know, why is this player even showing up? But in the past, we have seen Brazilians who have succeeded in Russia or at least advanced their careers. And if Malcolm is able to get a few minutes of game time and able to propel that into a January move, I mean, I hope he's able to leave in January anyway. Uh, this is in hindsight. But to answer your question, Rick, about uh, Barcelona having known better, I think it's a tough one. I think you're absolutely right that that's a tough one there, that they were able to get that money from Zenit St. Petersburg, and who knows whether or not another club would have bid that kind of amount. Who knows whether or not the player and his agent, again, we don't know how Malcolm's agent plays into all this, whether or not he accepted, maybe Zenit were giving him a larger commission. Uh, we don't know what the moving parts are. We don't know who are in the power positions in any of these negotiations. But to that end, if there is an inclination yeah, I mean, players tend not to be afraid. I mean, they tend to go where the money is. They tend to go where they think they can further career. And Zenit St. Petersburg is the kind of club that Malcolm, or at the level of the club that Malcolm could have advanced his career if he goes and is very successful. And he might still be. Again, I don't think there's going to be any justice for the player. I think the only justice that could occur here is that Malcolm is able to just put his head down, play through it. And I really hope, even more so, we've all hoped Malcolm succeeded from his days at Barcelona, and now let's all double down on that, and I hope he bangs in uh, so many goals this season, and Zenit St. Petersburg uh, have him have him ripped from their clutches, and another club swoops him up uh, for an amount that helps both the player, takes care of him, takes care of future generations uh, that he has, and uh, I hope that uh, Malcolm just has the best career he can, and again, it, it's it's hard here because we make a hero out of a player that is able to swallow his pride and deal with these kind of attacks. Uh, and it's disgusting and it's terrible that, uh, again, we don't know anything's going to be done from this. So, Rick, I, I think, again, I, I know it's a leading question towards should a Barcelona ever have uh, sold him to a club that they know has a history of this. But it's not just Zenit St. Petersburg. It's a lot of clubs in, in the Russian Premier League. It's a lot of clubs. Uh, in Syria, uh, it's a it's a fraction of clubs in the Bundesliga. It's a fraction of clubs in La Liga. It's some clubs uh, in the Premier League. It doesn't matter where you go. Racism, homophobia, and things like that do exist in world football still today. Uh, and, and until there is a concerted effort, I think you pull FIFA into this as well. Until there is a concerted effort from the most powerful people from the top down. Uh, I think this is just going to continue to happen, and it's a shame that a former Barca player in Malcolm, uh, a recent Barcelona player as well, was subject of this latest one. So, Rick, I hope that is a satisfactory answer for that one. Uh, let's go to a much, much easier question from Charlie here. Do you think our squad is complete? Will Valverde use the whole squad? Two questions, Charlie, which are radically different. Do I think the squad is complete? As I said earlier, yes, I do. I love the depth of the squad. I love the signings, the transfer window. They didn't bring in a million players, so... Griezmann, De Young, Firpo, Neto should be able to just fit in. Again, reinforcing with academy prospects. Uh, really, really exciting the way this squad could be managed uh, if we were playing on FIFA. But we're not. Instead, we are watching Ernesto Valverde manage the squad. So I don't know. It's interesting uh, to say. And if, if they are listening to the pod, uh, again, I don't want to name you. But somebody did call me a Valverde apologist the other day on social media. Um, and yes, I, I do unfortunately still read my replies. I got to start. I got to stop doing that rather. Um, but I do appreciate that because it does uh, remind me of the scope of how we talk about Valverde. And I do forget at times that there is a contingent uh, of this fan base that is not excited for this new season at all because they have zero faith in Ernesto Valverde. Uh, now, I support Barcelona, and I support, uh, even if I'm not entirely comfortable with, as going back to Rick's, que uh, Rick's question on the last one, that I'm not totally comfortable with the way the board has. Uh, you know, we two years ago talked about uh, the Shinshura vote, and we'll be talking about the presidential elections moving forward, if that's uh, when those things happen. And when it comes to Valverde using the squad, Charlie, I really hope so. I really hope that there is a plan in motion. And now you don't know how injuries play out. Uh, you don't know what kind of rotation there is. But as I said, the backups for each position this season are stronger than I think they've ever been. So I, I think where I'll, what I'll say to uh, the Valverde point is that of his three seasons in charge, this season he has the least number of excuses 
not to fully rotate his squad. I think continuity is important, uh, and so I said it's a radical idea, but I'd love to see PK and MTT always partnered together for, let's say, 65-70% of matches, and then I'd love to see Lingley and Tadebo. and Tadebo has shown that he has at least the physical tools, but he has also shown in preseason, and we had an inkling that this kid is good enough to be PK's backup, and if he gets 35% of the minutes at the right center back spot I think he's good enough for that I think there is depth all over the field the field and Valverde will have you know he hasn't had much of an excuse for his squad rotation I thought he learned last year from two years ago and hopefully he has completely been enlightened and has fully seen the light on squad rotation because they he finally has a a squad where I think there is zero excuses here so at this point I've rambled on a ton and it's time for Frances to have his go at it uh Frances all yours our Patreon Alexander Gonzalez asks, Good afternoon. My question is, what would you label each decade as for Barca, as in the late 2000s being the Pep, Tiki Taka era, etc., starting from the 80s to now? And he said, I think this would be a cool topic to showcase what symbolized Barca these past 40 years or so. Um, I felt that this question was hugely interesting, which is why I, I chose to start the show with this. Um, I think more than decades, we need to look at who was coaching and what they were trying to achieve. I mean, from the 80s to the late 90s, it was pretty much a transition at Barca. You have very different coaches that really didn't have a personalized, sort of generalized direction um, to take the club. So you had people like um, Elenio Herrera or Menotti or Terry Venables and Luis Aragonés, who, you know, by themselves and in other clubs, they've proven this as well. Um, they were successful and they knew what they were doing. Uh, but, you know, the club as a whole, Barca, looked direction. And I really believe that we, I would call this the transition period. Now, from 88 to 1996, that has to be the Johan Cruyff dream team era. Um, Cruyff was an innovator, as we saw when he was a, a player for us, um, several, around two decades before he started coaching for us. And yeah, he understood football in a different way he obviously comes from the Ajax Dutch school but he sprinkled this with a lot of talent and a lot of experience and a lot of um, you know understanding what other people understand football to be uh, but always sort of remaining true to his own style so the dream team years under Cruyff that's when we had um, the admiration of the world coming to the Camp Nou for pretty much the first time in our history um, you have players like Romario, Stoichkov, Kuman, Laudrup, um, who were tremendous. And yeah, of course, the four that I've called up out here are foreigners. You know, they're not Catalan-born. But the thing is, there was a very strong foundation of Spanish players, not necessarily La Masia players, but Spanish players as well, um, especially from northern Spain. Um, I can think of, you know, Goicochea, Begiristain, Zubizarreta, who, you know, are from either Bilbao or thereabouts that made the team really strong and hugely recognisable. Um, obviously, nothing lasts forever. And when Grief left us, there were six, seven years there, sort of Barca trying to be what they had been in the past, but still struggling. Um, I refer to this period as the dark years, I would say from 97 to 2003. We had managers such as uh, Brado Mirantic, Luis van Gaal, and even at some point, Lorenz Ferrer, who had been successful with Mallorca. Um, there were some great players in this era, especially during the Van Gaal years. Um, a lot of them came from Ajax. And even though I just said about the Dutch school of football, Luis van Gaal understanding um, of what football should be and how it should be played and the mechanisms and passes and distribution of the ball is completely different from Croy's philosophy. And even though he was successful, uh, because he won several titles for us. The fan base, and obviously myself, never really understood what he was trying to achieve. Um, also, his character, especially Van Gaal here, he he was very... Well, he was a brick, wasn't he? He was a talking brick. Um, he didn't understand what the culture was. I don't think he really, truly made a good effort to understand it. And, you know, despite the titles, I think it was it was great that he did leave us. And then from 2004 until today, really, um, and I've been thinking long and hard about this, I'm just going to call it the messy years, you know, the messy era. Of course, everything started with Frank Reichardt trusting Messi, uh, but obviously before Messi there was Ronaldinho, and alongside Ronaldinho there was Samuel Eto'o. So I really think that um, Messi's sort of 
transition from being a promising youngster to the best player the world has ever seen is what defines the last 15, 16 years at Barca since he debuted. Um, a lot of great managers along the way. Obviously, Reinhardt being brave enough to trust so many La Masia players, um, such as Iniesta, Xavi, Puyol, etc., um, made, gave us a baseline on what to work for for the future. After that, we clearly had Pep Guardiola. That is the one that really lifted everything to the, the level it needed to be. Um, then Villanova, who was in a way a continuation of Pep, um, when Pep decided to, to go on a sabbatical. Um, he, his decision, I'm not going to go back to that, but you know it was his decision. And Villanova, luckily for us, decided to take that understanding, that philosophy, those those mechanisms, that, that high pressure, um, that let's recover the ball as soon as we lose it sort of mentality. And he kept it going until, unfortunately, he couldn't do it anymore. Um, then we have Luis Enrique, who, in a way, he tried to evolutionize the what Guardiola had done, but um, he was hugely dependent on the three players up front, so it was the MSN, Messi, Suarez and Neymar. Barca had become a little bit predictable in terms of having a lot of possessions for possession's sake in the middle of the pitch, and uh, Luis Enrique didn't quite, although he was an element of that, he, he sort of got more defensive know-how in the team and um, his transitions became much quicker but obviously by the end of Luis Enrique's period it, there was so much dependence on the front three that everything else behind was lacking and obviously we've got Valverde now who is more pragmatic um, he's far less spectacular he's a lot more boring to watch to be honest but um, he does get results um, on a sort of long-term competition that's why he's been very successful in La Liga but it doesn't seem that that approach works at international level, um, especially in the Champions League. But, you know, we've got another year of Valverde and I really do hope that um, he can lead us to more success. Um, I think the board this year have invested well in terms of bringing um, good talent back um, to the pitch. Obviously, you've got Junior that just got signed. Um, I'm very excited about Griezmann, you know, even though that his personality... You know, I don't really understand sometimes, especially what he did last year. But because he's not a Barca player, we need to leave that behind. So I'm excited to see him. Obviously, Frankie de Jong in midfield. I think that's a gem that is not just going to be a one season wonder sort of thing. We've got a player there for 10, 15 years that is going to lead us into the next step. And uh, let's see what happens with Neymar. Um, regular listeners, especially if you've been logging on to Facebook in terms of my um, BarcaBlog.com page on Facebook. I've been publishing videos there every day. Um, so you already know that Neymar is someone who I would love to to bring back. Not because of his personality. Again, I think he's made a lot of mistakes, but he's, uh, he's better than what we have, you know. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I've gone a little bit off the question here, but my errors are defined like I just explained. So thank you, Alex, for the question and obviously being a patron who supports us on a weekly, monthly basis. So thank you so much. Now, I'm not really meant to do this, but um, I'm going to steal one question that we had agreed that Dan was going to answer. Um, sorry, Dan, <laughs> but I really can't help myself. I really want to talk about this. Um, Tintin asks, Pooch, what's the plan? What a short, brief question, but how important to our future. Um, I have been obviously watching every preseason game and I think Pooch is fantastic. You know, last year when, when he played a couple of games uh, for the first team, um, he, he excelled. Um, this is someone who I've been watching even with the under-19s. Um, not obviously not every game, but um, several matches. Uh, not just highlights, but actual matches, which is how you really should be watching games. And I really do think that Pooch has it all, you know. Um, it reminds me of a young Xavi and Iniesta all mixed together. Um, not because of the size, which obviously is pretty small, um, and how skinny he is. Um, he obviously needs to do some development in there in order not to um, be injured too often. Hopefully never, but you know, you can never tell what the future will bring. Um, I think he's been stellar, you know, there's been several years now since we have I've been really eagerly awaiting for someone fantastic to come up from La Masia and I think Pooch is it, you know, he has that special spark, that special something that defines 
cracks, which is what we call it in in, in Catalan. That's that special, um, outstanding player. Um, in the camper at the camp, no, there was the oohs and ahs and oh coming up from from La Grada, which is obviously the stands. And that's what we want to see, you know. He's got a, a magic touch. He is irreverent. Um, he is someone who will push the boundaries. He doesn't quite care if he loses the ball um, in the, you know, in the, I was going to say final third, but it's even final fifth of the pitch um, because that's when we need to make things happen, you know. Um, a lot of players, um, midfielders and, and professionals that we've signed um, not necessarily from La Masia, obviously, because we promote those, but players that we've signed in later years, they are just afraid at the last, you know, 10, 15 metres, and they always look for Messi. Um, unfortunately, we haven't seen Puch playing with Messi um, at all, I don't think, ever, uh, at least on an official game. But I really think that Puch would not be like that. He's someone who would take his own way, he would create, he would actually look at everybody and find find the best option. And because he's got that skill, then that is someone who we can, you know, hand in heart say, will add something different. Um, he does not have a very powerful shot, but he can score goals. Uh, but with him, it's just that dribbling. And, you know, when you are dribbling at that part, in that part of the pitch, um, then you're eliminating rivals if you eliminate a rival normally through a dribbling or, or a quick one too then there there is a gap when the defenders come towards you then obviously you're not going to be able to shoot but that would have generated a gap for somebody else normally Suarez uh, because he's he's very skilled like that in order to find spaces but I think that Puch would be someone who is generous enough who is skillful enough and who is tricky and creative enough to find those spaces and if we had to go out to buy Pooch, they would ask us for 100, 150 million um, in a year to year's time. So I am delighted to say that Pooch will be an influential and decisive player for Barca in the future. Um, I do know, however, that Valverde likes to keep just six midfielders in his squad. He likes short squads. Um, and he's always been like that. So there is a chance that Ricky Puch will actually stay at Barca B this season. But to be fair, I would rather have him getting continued playing time um, in order to to strengthen and, and experience and in a way make mistakes as well um, behind the scenes, as much as Barca B is behind the scenes, obviously. And then come when he's ready. Of course, I would say Copa del Rey, he should start and basically play the whole match in every one of those. But um, yeah, altogether, very excited for Puch. Um, I think Valverde knows he's got a little jewel in there. And I really do hope that he treats him differently, e.g. better than he has when other promising players have come up. But I think Puch is someone who is, I know Alanya is special, but I think Puch is particularly special because he's got that extra degree of magic that I really honestly haven't seen coming from the ranks from the Xavi, Iniesta, Messi times. So let's, um, let's let's not hype him up too much, having said that. But let's hope that um, we can enjoy his football for many years to come. Question from James, um, directed to me. Thank you, James. <laughs> that is lovely. Um, I'm, I'm sure Dan will not take offence to that. He says, a lot on Twitter about Dembele's and Semedo's lack of tactical awareness. It's been a few years now and they both don't get it. Is this a lack of coaching? Or have you found there are some players who just don't tactically understand Barca? And he says, I remember Hlep was like that when he was here. Um, thank you, James, for posting this question to us. Um, I do not agree that Dembele and Semedo don't have tactical awareness. Um, as I explained in my previous answer, I do think that in Dembele's case, it's... Um, it's getting to understand that his game has to have more restrictions. But in terms of Semedo, I really do not agree that he's tactically unaware. Um, I certainly disagree when when the question says they both don't get it. I think Semedo does get it. I think he is the best right back we have. I think he's clearly the reason why Sergio Roberto has been moved to midfield. Um, because if Alberde had any doubts on Semedo being a good right back, then Sergi Roberto would just have to stay as a starter there. So for Valverde, who we know is very pragmatic and everything you know has to be thought about, uh, for him to trust and for him to agree 
to um, move Sergio Roberto to midfield, it must be because Semedo is actually someone that he really does trust. And and I and I do agree with him. Defensively, he's very strong. I think that um, his speed, his awareness in terms of uh, positioning, really, and, and the way that he can counter those who try to tackle him, um, is, is very good, you know? Um, obviously, moving forward, of course, he doesn't always cross properly. He doesn't always take the best decision moving. But again, this is, and, and it's pretty much the same from Dembele. These are two players who are very young, who are relatively new to Barca, and they've got a really high ceiling. Um, I really do trust Semedo to start pretty much every game this season. Obviously, Huawei has been promoted from Barca B, and he was great, great at Barca B last year. He's been promoted in order to... Um, giving some rest, but I expect Semedo to, to play and probably even start between 45 to 50 games this season. And um, no, I don't agree. He's tactically unaware. I think he is deservedly someone who should start every game for us. And if he continues to grow and to develop at the rate that he has since he joined us, I think we've got a right back there for the next five, six, seven years. Next up is Mohamed. Mohamed asks, what can we expect from Dembélé this season going forward compared to anything over the past two seasons, provided he stays injury-free? And <laughs> I think Mohamed just makes the, the point that is key here. If he stays injury-free, then Dembélé can be a very, very valid player for us. Um, I have been saying throughout his two years with us that I think he should be starting. I think that he has a degree of speed and unpredictability that not many few players in world football actually possess. And I think we need to make the most of that. Um, Valverde has clearly spent a lot of time trying to teach him concepts. Um, I know that people are sort of very picky on him. Um, I don't know if they expect him to be, you know, peak Neymar um, straight away. But, you know, people have been, I know, have been very demanding on Dembélé. And I think... These fans, people, tend to forget that this is a 21, 22-year-old player who came from Germany playing in a, in a style that was quite... Um, not, I'm not going to say tactics-free, but he had a lot of freedom and he was allowed a, a lot of space to create. Um, Barca is not like that. In Barca, you've got a lot of restrictions. Um, for example, if you're a winger, you need to open up the pitch regardless of where the ball is, um, especially if um, the ball is being played on the other side. And, you know, at Barca, a lot of the game, a lot of the, the, the flow of the game goes through Alba and Messi on the left flank. So being on the right and opening up the pitch because, you know, they will eventually get the ball there. Um, if the the play on the other side doesn't succeed. These type of sort of mechanisms are things that are hard to, to understand. So Dembele's freedom that he used to have when he was younger, and he's still young, um, is, is just not there. But when he does have the ball, then he is he's expected, he's in his contract, and that's why he's here, that he needs to create something out of nothing. He needs to uh, run at defenders, he needs to try and dribble, he needs to... Um, you know, go desperate towards the byline. And I think he does that very well. However, I don't know if it's because of pressure. I don't know if it's because of lack of confidence. I'm not sure why. But his finishing in terms of crossing, in terms of passing, in terms of connection, just hasn't been off. Um, if this is due to the fact that he hasn't really had consistent preseason for a couple of years, because this is the first preseason he's doing properly, which is great. Um, then he hasn't had the continuity because of injuries. For whatever reason, he's just not there. You know, I also think there's a little bit of immaturity and there has been a bit of selfishness as well. But this preseason, it was a great sign that he came back uh, to training earlier than, than he had to. Um, he has been... All right, not great in finishing, but he has been much more eager to learn and to associate. Um, I think the arrival of Griezmann and obviously his relationship with Lenglet and Umtiti, who are all French, um, is helping him adapt. That's, that's also a positive. And I really do, th do think this is going to be the season in which Dembélé actually takes that step forward that we're all so desperately wanting from him. Maina asks, how do you feel about Malcolm's premature departure from the club? Was he given a real fair chance to fit into our squad? Um, I've been thinking about this one and thank you, Maina, for the question, obviously. I I'm not sure whether 
my opinion is different from the vast majority of fans in social media. Um, and I don't understand why it will be different. I strongly believe that a fair chance is a very difficult concept to explain. And let me let me clarify that. Everyone starts a preseason, everyone joins a club, and everyone has to prove their worth in training. Then once that's done, you go into, into the football matches. If you get into the, the squad, then you've got a chance to play. Um, all of that is fair, you know, and whether we like it or not, professional football is not just about what you do on the pitch. It's not just about what you do on training, but also relationships and very importantly, how other teammates will see you. Um, if when you are on the pitch, people don't pass you the ball, uh, which I've seen, you know, because when my brother was in La Masia, that used to happen to others and happened to him as well. Sometimes you have to think, why is that? You know, why is it that? Messi normally looks for Alba. Why was Messi normally looking for um, Alves when he was with us? Why is he always associating with Suarez? It's because of trust. It's because of understanding that once you've got a player that you trust, you've got a player that you understand and understands you, then that's the player you're going to be looking for. Um, Malcolm, for whatever reason, wasn't establishing those relationships. Um, I do realize, and you know, he did go, he did do well when he came into the pitch because um, he unbalanced and he had something different. But it was mainly in isolation. It was never, um, or very rarely, uh, rather, it was very rarely part of communicative play. Um, that sort of culminates a play that was coming through his side. It was more sort of an isolated play from the wing or a drive towards the centre or a loose ball that he was cleverly sort of on top of and could make something out of. Um, and I think that's it, you know. I think calling Malcolm's departure unfair is not, with all due respect, I don't think it's understanding what professional football is about. And if he wasn't wanted by the manager... And the manager obviously wants to first save his own job. And obviously by doing that at Barca, he's winning the trophy. If the manager who has the best interest of the club and his own future at stake is not trusting you, then it's probably because you just didn't cut it for whatever reason. So I don't think he was treated unfairly. I just think that, and you know, I'm very grateful for everything he did for us and all the time he spent with us. But I think if the trust from the manager is not there, then there is something missing. And if there is something missing and you've got an offer from a Russian club to for 45 million euros for a player that's not even going to be first choice of the bench, then you sell him, which is what the board did. So I'm fully behind uh, the board's decision to, to allow Malcolm to depart. And I wish him all the best for the future. It asks, at what point should Barca start the young over Busquets? Will it be too late? That, that's a fantastic question. Um, I really do think that obviously the young has been signed in order to be a starter and he has been signed to make a difference and the more playing time he gets, the better. Now, I am not convinced that his ideal place in our squad is instead of Busquets, you know. Um, I understand that that's a position that the young can play, but then again, we've got Busquets who has been a regular starter forever um, and he has been excellent um, pretty much um, for a continued period of time. Obviously, last season was not Busquets' best, but I do think that this season Busquets should still be a starter. But um, saying that, he should get much more resting time than he has. I think Busquets is not someone who can play 50, 55 games a season anymore. And having the young, being able to take that responsibility at the, at the heart of our midfield um, is, is very positive. Having said that, I also think Sergio Roberto whenever needed, could do that role. Um, I see the young more as an interior um, interior midfielder. So someone who, in my eyes, would be on the right of Busquets and linking close to whoever plays in the right wing. For me, it should be Dembele. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's for a different day, possibly, or a different question. And, yeah, so I see the young playing anywhere in midfield, but mainly as a right interior. Well, thanks for all those answers, Frances. Uh, I hope you liked it was a different kind of show. Again, the circumstances were that Frances and I were recording at different times, but we still were able to get a LaRonda questions in. Again, it's a podcast that we were still able to put out today. If you're still with us after all this time, you have obviously noticed that we do now have ads in the show. I've been talking for a long time. Our Patreons 
got us through the darkest days of being able to make this podcast and we appreciate so much of what not only have they done but they continue to do that's why we are continuing to push out stuff on patreon and all those rewards for being a patron are continuing they're not stopping just because we're having uh, ads in here but having ads gives me the opportunity and gives Frances the opportunity gives me the opportunity to have a little more time in my weeks to do other projects like the YouTube channel as in this past week we had both a history of the Wang Gamper trophy and we talked about the murder president Hosep Sunyol who died 83 years ago this week in the uh, during the Spanish Civil War so those kind of things take research they take time and that's time I may not be making other money so that's why these ads are in here I just want to be honest with everybody because if you've been listening to us all throughout this show and maybe even from the beginning we say thank you to you so don't let those 30 second ads or 60 second ads disparage you from continuing to listen and we want to thank you so much for tuning in as always you can tap in your app check out the show notes to subscribe you can find us on social media too we're on twitter at the barcelona pod at hilton d13 for me on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, that closed Facebook group where we got these Aranda questions from is tbpod.link backslash group. You can also help us out on Patreon, as I mentioned, at tbpod.link backslash Patreon, where we also do quick take match reviews. We're also on YouTube, as I mentioned, at the Barcelona Podcast, where basically every week we have the regular show. You can also not to say watch the podcast, but you can get the podcast on YouTube if that's more beneficial to you uh, instead of just putting it and downloading it on a podcast app. But the other thing we do on YouTube is having YouTube-exclusive shows a lot of times about the history of the club, but we get into a lot of detail there. So check us out on YouTube and hit that subscription button. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.